Unheard Yorkshire from Settle Stories. I'm Sita Brand, and your host for Unheard Yorkshire, where we uncover lesser-known stories about life in Yorkshire. At Settle Stories this year, we gathered the views of hundreds of people from across God's own country, Yorkshire. We gave our collection of tweets, emails and thoughts to young rap poet and Sheffield poet laureate Otis Mensah. Otis crafted these into a poem, which will be revealed on Yorkshire Day, the 1st of August. I caught up with Otis to find out more about his life as a poet. Otis, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's, uh, it's great to have you here. So tell me a little bit about your role, first of all, as the uh, Sheffield Poet Laureate. Yeah, sure. So um, the role came about in uh, 2018. Um, after, uh, I think, a video circulated of me performing at Glastonbury uh, the year prior um, to 2018. Um, and, and I think it got in the hands of, of our former Lord Mayor and former MEP, uh, Majid Majid. And, um, yeah, he, he reached out to me about perhaps setting up a meeting and presented me with the opportunity of the role and, and the idea and, and, I guess, the philosophy behind it that he wanted to... Uh, champion something that was that was going on in the in in the arts in Sheffield that was that was something different and just also you know create the role as a means to fly the flag of what's going on in Sheffield and um, I guess in in many ways it was a it, it was a sort of um, it was a sort of bigger statement that for me to 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 sort of necessitate that. Uh, the poetry that exists in hip hop is very much valid poetry, you know. So it was it was really meaningful and and sort of broke down, uh, I guess, a, a certain barrier of tradition that that otherwise might be put in place uh, to stop someone like me getting in a role uh, uh, such as poet laureate. So for me, it was it was really it, it was a beautiful opportunity, and it, and it meant I could use my music to. I guess do what what my my central goal is with with my artistry, which is hopefully to connect to people and 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 use use the the tool of poetry as a means of vulnerable expression. You know. Yeah. Now I was really interested to read that. And why do you think that poetry is such a good form to use in terms of vulnerable expression? Yeah, it's, it's, that's an interesting question. I think because there's. Um, I mean, I think in our society, there's not too many opportunities where you can be vulnerable and you, you know, you you can sort of bear it all. And I think poetry, you know, outside of the elitism that exists in, in, in a so-called poetry world or the art world, I think when you start to break down the, the, the seams and threads of what poetry really is, it becomes clear to me that, that it's a means of storytelling at its truest core, you know, it's it's outside of the institution of things, it's outside of the uh, the elitism of, of things. When you look at the origin of poetry, you know, it's a folk art, it's a means to pass on a truth within a community. And I think uh, in these times where we do have have uh, you know a, the, the pressure of silence and to, and and we we live in this sort of meritocracy where everyone is so individualistic. We need poetry more than ever as a means to um, yeah to to have that that safe space where we can be open and we can pass on our troops within our community and perhaps even start the process of building a community with the stimuli of poetry and and honesty through poetry. You know, so I, I think that's why I think it's an, an important uh, forum and and, and format. So what do you think makes it different, say, from just, you know, being a storyteller? So I'm a storyteller and I tell stories. How does poetry, you know, what's the difference? What, what does poetry give us 
that say just telling stories doesn't. Uh-huh. That's an that's also an interesting question. I think it um it adorns stories in a way. So it, it it's not the mere uh, fact of telling a story in its narrative form, but I think it's perhaps injecting the the philosophy of the story um w- within the journey of telling it, you know. I think it's it's very much about the uh, well, for me and and for the poetry that I've that I've gravitated towards, it's very much about the the existential sort of um, truth that that I that I gain from it. And and I think perhaps in in some ways, though you know we we adorn our poetry with with uh, imagery and and all sorts of all sorts of fancy sort of uh, you know vocabulary to make it look pretty. I think it, at the end when you start to really experience a piece of poetry i think you you gain a certain uh, existential truth from it in in a way that perhaps um uh, isn't always so clear with um uh, with narrative storytelling and i and i think i think for me especially i think the the power of being able to tell my autobiographical story um in through the form of poetry is is truly empowering and i think you know the the beautiful thing about poetry is i think that there's there's less um limitations when you look at the art form itself there's less limitations as to what you can touch on you really can go into uh you know existentialism you really can go into politics you really can go into your personal traumas and i think um i think that's that's sort of what poetry allows it allows you to go deep deep into your own self and then bring the truths that you find um and and put it on a universal scale for people to relate to you know now, you, one of the things you you talked about there and talked about um, uh, existential truth and uh, trauma and etc. One of the things I've heard you say is that the themes that come up in my recent poetry book, this is quoting you, um, are of trauma that's unspoken, that hasn't uh-huh. been given a voice, and trying to tell the story of a side of myself that is usually socially normalized. Tell us a bit yeah. more about that. What what were you talking about in terms of what you feel is socially normalized um uh-huh. and what therefore you're now expressing yourself with your in your poetry yeah so i i think the 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 sort of thought cycles on the 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 thinking patterns behind that uh that statement is very much based around um things that i that i got very used to in in terms of coming of age and and sort of growing up and and i guess it's very linked to societal uh narratives and what we're told uh, as we're growing up i think one one obvious example comes to mind and that's that's the concept of school and and the concept of schooling you know we we're, we're sort of told from the very beginning that school is is everything you know i i mean i can speak for myself and from my own experiences you know i really lived school i dreamt school i ate school everything was about school only for me to be ripped apart from that experience of schooling and sort of shunned into a place where where it doesn't really matter anymore or it's no longer a truly essential part of your journey and i think i i'm i'm very fascinated about I'm very fascinated with what that does to your psyche the fact that we have these identity building states these huge grand things that we build ourselves around only to be ripped apart from them and and of course what T- comes tell me, with that tell me is, what what do you mean by ripped apart in in what way can well, you t- explain a little bit more about that yeah, so I I think you know so much of our time as I'll I'll stay on the example of school. So much of our time as as um you know you know I guess students, but, but starting from a very early age, we're told that it matters so much. We're told that 
um, that schooling is, is, is well, basically it's all we can see at the time being. And and you could argue that, that that's somewhat of a means to get us through school and, um, you know, that, that we need that tunnel vision. But I think for some people who... Um, who perhaps struggle to move on or struggle to um, who struggle with holding on to things and, and dealing with past and present. Someone like myself, who you know, I, I I feel like I'm often battling with the burden of nostalgia. In that nostalgia is sometimes crippling my sense of the future and my my ability to have. Um, you know, to have a, a, a good experience in, in the future because I'm always worrying about the past I'm, and I'm always saying, you know, how something might not have met up to how it was in the past. So I think because I have these rose-tinted glasses about how um, school was and about how, not just school, but how life would be when I come out of school, you know, I'm, I was sort of fed this narrative that, you know, you work hard at school and then you sort of get what you you desire and then you go on to live a life and that's the narrative and the destination is that you get there. The point is that I never really got there and actually there were so many barriers in my way, um, you know, it's like things such as such as race, nobody in school told me about race, nobody in school told me about racial oppression or they didn't tell me about the things that would be in, in place to stop people, certain people uh, in society. So I guess being ripped apart from that idea of of um, something being easy or something being smooth, when you truly find out how harsh society can be, I think that can be an identity-shaking moment in, in, in one's life, you know. So, um, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot so of... So were you happy at school? Were you happy at school? Were you happy at school? I think I I I, I think ha- being happy or being not happy is is a less nuanced way to put it. I think I moved from states of of contentment to states of feeling like my my identity was shaken or feeling like I had some sort of existential quarrel. So I think you could look from the outside and you could say that I was happy and 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 I really enjoyed the the things that I learned in school, you know, and I I got on with a lot of my teachers. Um but I, there was a part missing, and then there was a part about my history missing, and there was a part about um, society that, that I wasn't taught about in school. And I think to me that sort of that sort of shook me and, and left me feeling a bit foreign. And you know, the, the, I left me feeling with a sort of perpetual state of otherness when I went out into society eventually. So um, that I guess they're the sort of things that I talk about when I mean um, being ripped from an identity-building state. So it was like a a focus of the way in which you felt that the world was going to be and then you leave school and you find that it's not quite how you think it's going to be. Exactly. But, you know, I think it's important to state that I I didn't just come to believe that the world was going to be like that. I I was constantly told that the world was going to be like that. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, I guess the realisation... But this is just one example of what I would consider an identity-building state. I think another one, uh, to, to, to move on quickly, another one that I would, on a more maybe personal level, is something as simple as... Um, how it makes you feel when you've grown up with a friend and and the, the normality of them perhaps leaving you know so i i think my my fascination of that, what, that what do you mean sorry otis uh, what do you mean by the, how you deal with that is, what what is, do you mean um, them leaving what do you mean by that so for example if you grow up with a a friend and you sort of build your life in a, in a city together and then they have to go off to college or they have to go off to uh, study in another country, for say. Um, I think I've always 
you know, focused on those moments of, of, of separation or the fact that I've had to leave something that was pleasant or something that I built my previous identity around and, and feeling like I had to recreate myself. That recreation is something that, that I would consider a, a metamorphosis, you know, or a, a metamorphosis. Um, so, yeah, that that's what the, the book was based around, you know, telling, uh, I guess, telling the story of the times where, um, those changes had 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 defined my my journey to some to some extent, you know. Now, one of the things you mentioned there was about um, you know narratives that you're not um, explored at school uh, a- around the politics of race, one's I- uh, racial identity, etc. Uh-huh. Um, how, how do you think that? Times are changing, and do you think that in the current climate, with the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, etc., that there will be a change in our schools? And what can we do to ensure, more importantly, that there is a change, and so that uh, young people of colour coming up and growing uh, up in Yorkshire and in other parts of the country... Uh, will feel that their stories and their journeys are understood and that they're not built up and um, pulled apart? Yeah, uh, I mean, that's a, a mountainous question. And, you know, I, 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 can, only, I can only speak from, from personal experience and, and what I feel could, could, could have helped me. I think one thing that, that, that could have helped is that... Um, I think there needs to be some acknowledgement of, of the British role in, in empire and in colonization and in a cruel history of slavery. I think whilst whilst there's no acknowledgement or no uh, responsibility taken, then the same racism is going to be upheld in the institutions because the history is upholding the, that that same system of racism. The history that we're taught, you know, we're, we're taught about figures like Churchill, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and we we're taught this sort of uh, patriotic, glorified um, version of history. So I think once you start to look at the education system, and and I guess. Um, yeah, pick apart what's holding up the, the systems of racism within that, I think then we can start to have, um, you know, an, a, a change that happens early on within our schooling. And yeah, and I, I think that has to come with some sort of uh, responsibility and ag- acknowledgement. And I think there just isn't that yet. There's just um, a lot of a lot of people are trying to put a quick fix on things. And I think, you know, often people are well-intended and they they, they, they feel a sense of hopelessness, so they want to do something that they think will help the, the, the system of, of racism, uh, help combat it. However, I, I think there's no quick way around this. We, we've got... we. Our, our society is built on a history of of white supremacy, and we really need to tackle that history. You know, I I completely agree with you, and so that comes on to the poetry again. And do you feel yeah. then that the your poetry and poetry of others, hip hop as well, uh, and rap, can help us to address mm-hmm. these issues? And the arts altogether can have a role, does have a role, in helping mm-hmm. us look at life and look at life differently. Um, I, I, I think, yeah, most definitely. I think, um, you know, I think we, there needs to be more championing of, of, of black poets in, in the UK and, and, and black intellectuals and thinkers and writers. And I think the more we do that, the more that we can shape, reshape the narrative that 
perhaps poetry or, or something of an intellectual art has to be something that's white. I think once we start to champion other uh, poets and see their work as truly valid and, and, and you know, make sure that it, that it is paid for and that it is validated within the education system, within academia, I think then we can start to have that conversation of, of, of changing perspective. I, I do think that um, the art puts us in a very particular place of... of of um, a softer heart, I think, because uh, th- there is this this conversation and element of vulnerability within poetry. I think it does put us in a place where you you can find people that people being more susceptible to changing their mental state through the art. You know, I think people can um, can often be be can have seeds planted that otherwise they might be more uh, conflictual about. So I think art puts us in a good place to first create a a point of relation and then perhaps uh, reshape, start to reshape the the narratives that, that need tackling, you know? And do you think then, so what do you see then is then the, the, the role of the artist um, and the, the, the small arts organization like ourselves um to to make these changes um what else could we be doing differently to make a change um that's a a big question i think um a good place to start is by by championing uh black writers and and black poets especially if we're looking specifically at the at the form of poetry and in the realm of the poetry world i think um you know, giving, making sure that you are allowing opportunities to black writers and black poets. And perhaps there needs to be on a, on a wider scale, um, there needs to be, I, I think there's a tendency within within certain scenes, within maybe literature scenes or, or sometimes within music scenes to champion the same faces and the same people. I think we need to make sure that the the gatekeepers don't necessarily the gatekeepers to these local scenes don't necessarily have so much power um in championing their friends or you know their other white colleagues or white fellow writers and i think um in order to in order to start breaking down that hierarchy um yeah there has to be a change in that and there has to be a i guess a, a passing on of of the position of power within these scenes now uh in that role as a uh, we've uh, commissioned you to write the yorkshire poem which will be yeah. revealed on the 1st of august uh and we're really excited to to have you as uh, a young black poet um uh-huh. and a different kind of a voice to be um to be sharing and to 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 kind of enunciate the thoughts and the of people of yorkshire in that poem so this brings me on to another question really about process and about putting down ideas for a poem. Can you just talk us through uh the your your process of uh of writing and uh, maybe allude a little bit to um how you did that uh for the the Yorkshire poem. But don't give too much away. Um we'll <laughs> yeah, have the sure. poem in, in uh, August. Go. Yeah, yes, yeah. So uh, for me, a lot of my my writing happens after what I like to call a, a, a melting pot or a you know a, a boiling moment, if you will. And I and I think I'm often walking through life with a certain idea in mind about a poem. Um, 
and I'm letting my experiences get to a point where they're they're building up and they're boiling and they're bubbling. Um, and 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 I think to some extent it, it it takes me a lot of time to process these emotions that I'm feeling. And and often I think from the outside it could look as though I'm I'm, I'm just suppressing emotions and and you know that I'm not I'm not uh, dealing with them in the in the day to day. But I think in in some way uh, that that is uh, something that is injected into my creativity this idea of, of not always perhaps sharing being quite protective of my emotions on a day-to-day basis but saving them for sort of a, a moment of catharsis and therapy when i get that meditative state um of, of being able to put my thoughts down on the page so um i think there's a there's a lot of time that i spend not writing however that that leads to moments of, of inspiration um and 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 that's how i sort of uh that's how I that's how I build up to my process of writing, and then when it comes to putting my words down on the page, um, it is it is somewhat of a, a of a natural experience in in the sense that I I try not to have a specific narrative or idea in mind, and I try to let those emotions resurface that I've been experiencing maybe over the week or over the month resurface within within a new state, and I'm always approaching it from. What I've learned from from hip hop culture and 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 I guess the form of, of 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 being honest and being as vulnerable as possible and as authentic and when I say authentic I mean as true to self as possible um, when I'm writing down down these words you know so yeah it's it's a it's a moment it's a building moment and then it what I like to call letting the pen bleed happens and it's it's a sort of a natural process. Now I I know that your father was a, a DJ with um, hip hop and your mother also wrote some poetry. Uh, who were the poets that influenced you growing up? Yeah, sure. So uh, some of the poets that influenced me uh, is an incredible poet called Blackfoot, a, a member of the Roots, and uh, you know Blackfoot is one of my favorite poets because he has a, an ability to. Um, to really put his heart out there on on the line, but still, you know, I'm still able to find such uh, to pull such philosophical um, truths from it. You know, I, I feel he yet he doesn't he, in in putting himself forward with this um, with this sort of wise perspective that he gives, and he doesn't strip his vulnerability or his authenticity from it. So, uh, uh, Blackfoot was one of my favorite poets growing up. He had a piece of work an album called Things Fall Apart. And uh, that was really transformative for me as a, as a, as a teenager. Um, it taught me that, you know, poetry doesn't always have to be something sweet. It doesn't always have to be something pretty, but it does have to be something that's honest. And even if that's something gruesome that you're expressing or something uncomfortable that you're expressing, um, the journey of, of bearing that burden of truth is way more important than trying to make uh, the poetry fit your idea of poetry. So that's what I learned by one of my favorite poets called Blackfoot from the Roots. And um, yeah, and 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 uh, hip hop has taught me uh, has taught me a lot about poetry, really. Uh, and can we just um, finish with perhaps you sharing um, a poem of of yours or one you like? Yeah, for sure. So um, I'll share a poem of mine called uh, I'll share one called Insert Sleep and. And this one was taken from my um, from my book, Fake Metamorphosis, and is is sort of dedicated. It's an ode to people who feel um, as though they're trapped on 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 a journey of meritocracy and and feeling like they can't find therapy within within that that rat race, you know, of, of trying to earn a meal and trying to 
trying to keep your way in this ever-rushing society. Um, so yeah, this one's called Insert Sleep Here. I know you're tired. I've drank the dry stick that never meets satisfaction. During glimpses, I've felt decades of drought. I know all about the boulders that rest in wrinkles, forcing crooked smiles. I know the mass of moons in orbit rest on your weary back. I know how weight feels. I know the cliche that pressure makes for precious stones. But sometimes, sometimes we just break. We break before we meet a scene. Still birth, still happen to those born and grown. I'm standing on the back of an insect. And in all my power, I found all my insignificance. How life could just be stomped out. I remember the feeling. Like cities raining down on my body. Drops of water concentrated with people, buildings, iron curtains, time, metal debris. All the world's ills in its machinery toppling down on my bare back. I know drowning makes it hard to stay awake. I thought about how to think when your head's trapped inside a tank of running water but your body roams free. I remember gulping and gasping for help. But no one could break me out of myself. I was an insect too. I know how to forget to sleep. And when I keep my eyes open long enough, I see technicolor that isn't there. I stood on the back of an arachnid. I felt what it feels to have no bones. No structure. Just the space in between everything before and after. I know you're tired. I remember the feeling of helpless days. I remember that sacrifice isn't always compromise. Thank you. Thank you very much, Otis Mensa. That was wonderful. And we look forward to hearing the poem on the 1st of August as we open the first Yorkshire Festival of Story. Thank you so much. You can hear the Yorkshire Poem, as well as watch and take part in over 80 events for free at the Yorkshire Festival of Story. Go to yorkshirefestivalofstory.com to find out more. Otis will be performing the poem live at the Festival Living Room 1. See you there. I'm Sita Brand, and you've been listening to Unheard Yorkshire from Settle Stories. To listen to more episodes of other Yorkshire stories, go to settlestories.org.uk forward slash podcasts. This podcast is supported by Arts Council England.